We are in a new series. We just completed a three-week deep dive in the first chapter of John. Typically, we preach through whole books of the Bible. But for the next five or six weeks, we are taking a pause. And we are going to look at some reference points for living life in a wise way. And in a way that will allow you to have as few avoidable regrets and heartaches as possible. And I want to talk especially today to our young people in the room and especially to those that may be graduating. And so now, this will, if you're a little older, guess what? We have all sorts of graduations, don't we? Um, like all kinds of new seasons of life that we graduate into. Maybe you're graduating, you know, into college or into high school, or you're graduating into um, having kids or getting married, or you're graduating into empty nester or retirement. Um, typically, these are the points when we often lose our reference point for life and end up um, finding ourselves living in a way that produces heartache and regrets. But especially if you're young today, I want you to listen up. Have you ever been, anybody ever been lost in the woods? When you're lost in the woods, something that's interesting happens typically. And they tell you uh, one of the best things you can do if you don't actually know your way is is stay kind of still, right? But one of the other things you need to do is find a fixed reference point. Because what people normally do when they're lost in the woods and they're trying to find their way back is they just kind of go with their gut feeling of what feels right in the situation, what their heart's telling them. You know, I think it's this way. And what usually ends up happening is they just go around in big circles and loop back around. And that's because they don't have a fixed reference point. See, a compass gives you a fixed direction, a fixed reference point, so you know you're headed in the same direction. Or something on the far horizon gives you a fixed reference point. And that's so important when it comes to making decisions in life, because so many people live their lives um, just kind of going with what their heart says. The only problem with that, and some of you know this, is that Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful beyond all things. And some of you have experienced that, where you went with what your heart said, and you ended up in a world of hurt because of that. You know, the truth is nobody ever sits down and plans to derail their life. It's just that they don't plan not to. They kind of live by what feels best in the circumstances with just subjective reference points, you know, sort of internally, this is my truth, this is what I believe, this feels right to me. And the result is so many avoidable heartaches, um, oftentimes just the sense of aimlessness in life, loneliness, regret. But when we talk about wisdom, because what we're talking about is wisdom for life here. When we talk about wisdom, and we're going to be looking at some reference points, some wisdom for life, typically we start with Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon. We're going to get to some of those because the wisest guy that ever lived up until Jesus knows some things about life. But actually, I wanted to start the conversation today with the life of a young man who God will end up using incredibly powerfully. And typically, we look at those, those events in the scripture where God uses them in miraculous, powerful ways, in cool ways. But I want to look at some of the stuff that led up to him being used and some of the building blocks, some of the reference points he had in his life. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn on over to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to look at the beginning of the ministry or the call of a prophet called Elisha. Now, for those that may be new around here or just checking out God Church 
and in the Bible, and we're so glad you're here. Um, if you don't know the context of Elijah and Elisha, this is a time in the nation of Israel where God primarily spoke to his people through prophets. And he would use these prophets. He would give them messages to speak to the people. And um, he would call them back to himself, to the worship of the one true God. Call them away from the idols that they would worship in a culture. Call them to live life in a way that honored God and a way that would produce joy and freedom in their life and in the nation. And there's two very famous people actually, that, that you see in the scriptures, two prophets, maybe the most famous, and their names are Elijah and Elisha. And so the scripture we're going to see today is when towards the end of Elijah's ministry, God is going to tell him, hey, I have a successor for you, and I want you to go and basically designate this guy, call this guy to come and be the successor, the one who will carry your mantle, the one who will carry your ministry and your mission after you're gone. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'm just going to read it for you real quick to set it up, and then we're going to walk back through it and look at some, some key reference points, I think, particularly useful for the young people in the room. So listen to this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, there's some really cool things in this. You see, God, Elisha will go on to actually serve as God's primary prophet to the nation of Israel for the next 60 years. And you know, it wasn't going to be a wealthy, comfortable, stable life, but it's very, very significant, his life was. In fact, we are still talking about him almost 3,000 years later. Chances are, for any one of us in this room, if anybody's talking about you in 100 years, like, you did something amazing. We're still talking about this guy 3,000 years later. But more than that, it was the fact that he got to partner and participate and see God do some absolutely incredible things in his time. And I don't know about you, but that's something that's on my heart. I want to be part of seeing God move and do some absolutely incredible things in my lifetime. And so today, um, as we look at this scripture and as we look at his life, I have three catchy phrases for you, um, things that I hope will, will just let you remember some principles from this little passage. And then we're going to have some other scriptures. But three little things I want you to remember that I hope, especially for the young people in the room, you know, um, Albert Einstein talks about um, compound interest. And, and the big thing behind that, maybe you've heard this in school or a finance class, uh, is basically if you start like when you're 18 or 20 saving for retirement and you just put away, you know, um, you just invest maybe $500 a month, $1,000 a month. Man, by the time you're in your 60s, you're going to have millions saved. Um, compound interest. Albert Einstein called it one of the wonders of the world. Um, whereas if you wait 10 years, way less. 10 years after that, still farther. And some of you are right now going, I know, because you're 45 and you just started thinking, I better start thinking about retirement. 
So if you learn this stuff when you're, when you're 18, when you're 20, when you're 25, this is like compound interest. And it can set you up to go so far and, and, and so much further and avoid some of the pain and the heartache that some other people in the room may have had. Can I have some head nods around the room from some of you older? Yeah. And so I want to walk back through the scripture real quick and highlight a few things. And here we go. In, in, in verse 19, here's what I want you to see. It says this, Elijah went from there. He found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. And, and Elijah went up and threw his cloak on him. Now, here's what you need to know about this. Um, Elijah comes up. He's got 12 pair of oxen, and he's, he's kind of the last one there. And so what this is a picture of is we get this picture that Elisha comes from a family of substance, from a family of wealth. He is a successful young entrepreneur in the culture. He's out there, he is plowing the field, and he's got 11 other people, presumably that work for him, plowing ahead of him, and he's kind of out there. But he's not just, he's not just, um, he's not just like sitting on the side, drinking a lemonade, and telling them what to do. No, he's, he's in on it. He's part of it. And so he's out there plowing, and as he's doing, just picture this, this, you know, he's out there plowing, ladies, he's got like, I mean, he's got like, you know, his arms are all muscly because he's on the plow, right? All tan out there. He's plowing, and he sees this like figure in the distance coming towards him. And, and prophets always, like, they had this weird, like, skin or camel hair's cloak. You see that with John the Baptist? And so he sees this, and at some point, he probably recognizes, whoa, that's Elijah the prophet because the guy's super famous. As Elijah walks up to him, we don't know if he's ever seen him before. We don't know what the story is. But he walks up to him, and he takes this, this mantle, this prophet's mantle. And, like, prophets are so dramatic in the Scripture, right? So he, like, just whoop, throws it on his shoulders, and then just dude walks off. Like a mic drop, right? And in the story, you just see, like, you get this picture of Elisha that's out here just plowing. He's large and in charge, and he's manly, right? And all of a sudden, camel skin, like, boom, around him, and he's like, what's going on? It took him a second to process, because apparently Elijah, Elijah just keeps walking, because it says he had to go run and catch up to him, and he's just sitting there with his coat on going, what in the world just happened, right? But here's what I want you to notice about this picture. When an incredible opportunity, you see the mantle of the prophet, when Elisha threw this on, it was this symbol that, hey, I have decided uh, God has chosen you as the next prophet, this was a huge honor, a huge responsibility, a huge weight. And Elisha realizes this all in a moment. What you got to notice when this incredible opportunity from God found Elisha, he was already moving forward in life. He wasn't sitting still. He was doing the thing that, that he, he was putting his hand to the plow. He was working hard. He was diligent. He was creating success where he found himself. He was responsible. He was leading in the context God had already placed him in. He embraced hard work. He was strong. He was capable. That's the picture you get of a guy, not a guy just sitting around doing nothing, waiting for a great opportunity to come around. He was already seizing the opportunity. And if you're a young person in the room or really graduating into any stage of life, this is something you might lose sight of. But the first thing I want you to remember is this, lift heavy things. Can everybody say that? 
lift heavy things. Now, here's what we know physically, um, just from like, you know, studying exercise and, and um, I, I, I study it and know something about it. I don't always do it. You're like, we can tell. Um, but I do know, right? Here's one of the best things you can do is like co- major compound mus- movements like deadlifts and squats. And in fact, the older you get in life, lifting heavy things is one of the most valuable things you can do. Now, learn to, you know, you got to learn to do it in correct form so you don't injure yourself. Um, but lifting heavy things and maintaining muscle mass is actually one of the biggest indicators of, of longevity and of like capability laid into life and health. And so we know physically lifting heavy things is a very good thing for you to do when you do it in correct form, right? But this is a principle that's so much bigger. This is a principle of life. And you see this in Elisha is he lifted heavy things. He, he was used to hard work. What does this mean, lift heavy things? Well, first, I think it means learning the value of hard work and delayed gratification. It's one of the biggest things you can learn in life. Um, Proverbs 6 says this, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. If you've ever watched ants, it's, I mean, they're annoying, right? But they're incredible. If you stop to actually look at them, these little creatures carrying things that, you know, proportionately just like outweigh them and by a ton, you know, it's amazing. And nobody's making them work. They just somehow, God wired into them, they know that we're going to work hard without stopping, and then we're going to get to disappear underground for the winter and just chill out. And you always wonder, what are they doing down there? Just having a part at them. Anyway, and, and Proverbs, Solomon, the, you know, the wisest guy that ever lived till, up till Jesus, he said, go to the ant, look at the ant, take some lessons from that, young people. Work hard, learn about delayed gratification, working now so that you have something for later. Working now so that you build something up so that when a great opportunity comes along later, you can seize that opportunity. You have, not just like, hey, I don't need to just save money. See, my kids do this all the time. They're all about having the jobs. Dad, do you got a job for me when they want to buy something? And what I'm trying to teach them is work hard and save your money. And then when you have an opportunity, you'll already have it saved up. See, that takes wisdom. That takes foresight. That's actually a mark of maturity the older you get as you learn that skill in your life. I'm digging this giant hole in the backyard. You can ask me about it later, leveling off this spot. And we decided, had this nice level spot, uh, but we decided we had to dig into this hillside, which looked pretty level, but then I started digging into it. And now like the back, like this 12 by 12 thing, the back's like four feet of dirt. We have this mound and we had to carry all of it by five gallon buckets because you couldn't get machinery in this area. (laughs) And actually, it's been brutal and hard and I'm kind of done with it. I mean, we've had the whole family out there. I'm like telling my kids, you want to eat? You come in, you carry some 10 buckets each. So, hey, (laughs) the people you you respect the most when you get older were the people that were the hardest at you, on you and loved you at the same time, okay? So it's, it's good to push your kids a little bit sometimes, you know, not hurt them, but push them a little bit. They discover what they can do. But it's just, it's, it's been good for me reminding myself, who normally sits behind a desk and, you know, works a, a computer, the value of working hard, of doing something where you feel it at the end of the day. 
There's, there's value in hard work. There's no shame in hard work. Lamentations 3.27 says this, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Interesting little insight tucked in this like poem in the Bible. Here, here's what I think, especially young men, learn how to do something with your hands other than video games. Serious. Learn to do something with your hands other than gaming. You will not regret it. My dad had me out like a young kid. I learned how to do framing and building. And I am so thankful now that he made me do that. I didn't like it at the time, right? A lot of times he's like, you, you come out here and work. And I'm like, yeah. I'm so thankful now. I, I actually learned something that was a valuable skill that helped me out a lot in my early years before I... Um, you know, started pastoring full-time and actually getting salary for it. I did construction, and I was able to still do ministry and music and all the other things that I like doing. It was a good skill. But also, um, behind that idea is that if you, if you have an incredible work ethic, more often than not, you will, you will go so much further than the person with great talent but no work ethic. You can, you can go so much further. You may not be as talented as this person over here, but if you're diligent, if you work hard, there's no limit to where you'll end up. This is such an important thing to learn. Part of this lifting heavy things, I think, is saying yes to opportunities that get you in the door. Too many times you've got so, such a high standard. You want to be a 22-year-old YouTube millionaire. Go for it. Uh, John and I, uh, John Cox, our operations pastor, and I were talking in our service planning meeting. He said he saw this research where you are more likely, actually, it seems so accessible because it's easy. Um, and if that's your deal, go for it. Work hard at it. Put the work in. You never know, right? But statistically, you are more likely to become a, a famous actor or actress than you are actually to become a YouTube millionaire as you look at like, how the algorithm works and all that. And so it's a great dream. But you might want to learn how to do something useful with your hands as well, just in case that doesn't work out. I'm just saying, you know, maybe you want to learn something else. But part of that is saying yes to the opportunities that get you in the door. You can come carry buckets for me if you want. You never know where that'll lead. Um, but it's, still, it's, I mean... So many times you get a job opportunity or an opportunity to, you know, get into an internship or a ministry thing, and you're like, eh, it doesn't really pay much, and uh, it's hard work. Do I really want to do that? You never know what's saying yes to that, the network you're going to build, the people you're going to get to know, and the opportunities that will come out of that. Let me just do a little quick survey in this room of you older people, you know, like my age or around my age and older. How many of you are in a position, you know, that's not like flipping burgers at McDonald's? That's a great entry-level thing, right? Which is about ready to go away if they ever do this minimum wage thing. There's just going to be robots there. Anyway, not going to get into politics. <laughs> but, but let me say, how many of you are in a position of somewhat like leadership or, or influence, and you got there because you took an opportunity that probably wasn't the thing you wanted to do most? Look around the room. Raise your hands higher. It's a lot of us in the room. You got you to gotta take the opportunities that get you in the door. You don't get positions of influence and authority typically just because 
you got, you, you know, you have a credential. So much is built around relationship and about the fact that you've built trust in your life. Um, Luke, Jesus says this in Luke 16. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You got to learn to, to do something useful. You got to be faithful in the small thing. Um, as we were doing this project uh, in the past month or, or two, we've had all these outdoor projects. And uh, my, my dad, my kid's grandpa, um, he overpaid my kids on a couple jobs. And now they're kind of proud, you know, like too good to do, to work for my little piddly sum that I want to give them. They're like, dad, grandpa would pay us. And I'm like, you're not worth that. <laughs> I got scolded by my wife. She's like, you're going to hurt their face. I had to go in and tell my son, well, you're worth that. But what I mean is your work isn't worth that. You need, you want to get paid three times? Learn to put out three times the output, okay? Anyway, good conversations to have with your kids. Reality. You know, the, the participation trophy isn't going to work real well in real life. I'm just saying that, okay? All right, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. And you know, those who are very, very good at seemingly humble things tend to go very far and, have, and end up with some incredible opportunities. I, I guarantee you, you talk to a bunch of the entrepreneurs who become very successful. They didn't start out typically in that thing. They started out doing something for someone else that maybe didn't have the, you know, the prestige behind it. But what they learned there sparked the idea that gave them ultimately, like, I could do this better. I could do this. I could serve these other people. And guess what? So many of them are so successful now. And that's where it started. Part of lifting heavy things is that you have to run. You have to sprint sometimes in life. You have to run as fast as you can sometimes. And, and I, there's so many things in our culture like, oh, take it easy, you know. Don't, like, be careful you don't burn out. And, and that is good advice for, for a lot of people that are very driven type A people. But for so many people, the advice is, no, actually, you need to bust it a little bit. You need to test yourself. You need to run as fast as you can. You need to sprint. You need to see how far you can go. You know, you'll never know what you're capable of until you find yourself failing a little bit. And actually, the things you learn when you do fail, if you've never failed at something, you might not be trying hard enough. We're trying something new. And you know, the older you get, the more failure costs. It's a good skill to learn when you're younger. Now, part of that, and I know in this room, in our congregation, we've got so many of you that are very um, capable and driven people. And the flip side of that is you, don't, you, you can't redline your life all the time. And some of you need to hear that. Because what you do is you destroy your relationships. And internally, um, I was listening to a, a, a podcast, and this famous a psychologist was talking about how he, he actually had to coach some of his lawyer clients that work, you know, 80 hours a week, just never stop, never take a day off. And they had to build in planned off time in their schedules. And what they found was their productivity actually went way up because you were designed. Sabbath is a principle that God created, right? 
You work six days. You rest one. You, you have to do that for your relationships, for your sanity, for your heart. But so many people, I think the opposite. You, you, you probably aren't going to make it by working one and resting six. So some of you need to hear the, the flip side of that too, right? And part of it, I think, is um, part of lifting heavy things is learning to accept the weight of responsibility. So many people, especially young people, listen up. You, you shy away from taking anything that feels heavy, that feels like you could be exposed or it could expose you. You, you could fail at it. Responsibility is a gift from God. We need people to lift heavy things to carry the weight of responsibility in their lives. You want to be countercultural? Maybe you don't, but if you do, you know some of the most countercultural things you can do is actually like living God's way in your morality, your finances, living God's way. Um, you, you want to be really like live a countercultural, shocking life? Get married, start a family. Serious. You know, like 60% or more of, of people in today's culture think that the best way, like if you want to have a successful marriage, the best way is to try it out first, to move in together. Statistically, that is not accurate. But more than that, God gives you a set fixed reference point for how to live your life in this area. And when you live it, you actually find more joy and more freedom. The people who are most fulfilled later in life are the people that do it God's way, that say, no, I'm going to wait before I'm intimate. I'm going to wait. I'm going to get married. I'm going to reserve this, this part of my life and my soul and my body for, for marriage. It's one of, the, one of the most powerful things you can do. You know, statistically, um, there's not really that big of a difference between just people who go to church and don't in, in divorce. Not a huge difference, but you know what there is. People who are faithful and committed to God and read their Bible daily and pray, huge difference. Those that are passionate about serving God, that's one of the best things you can do for your future life, happiness, for your marriage. But accepting the weight of responsibility in a culture that just says, no, swipe right. God would say there's a fixed reference point there. And guess what, guys? I know in a room like this, there's people that this is a heartache, this is a regret, or some, this is a conviction. There is grace. Each morning is a new morning, and God's mercies are fresh every day. And there's forgiveness, and there's grace, and you get up. But you know what grace isn't? It's just going, oh, thank goodness, I'm just going to ignore it all and just stay where I'm at. It's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. You want to move toward Jesus. You want to move toward him. Accept the weight of responsibility, of leadership. If you're given the opportunity to do something hard, we need people to embrace and step up and take those. You know, God built you to do something great. Here's one of my favorite quotes by uh, Teddy Roosevelt former president, he said this, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. 
but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Isn't that a great quote? It's a challenge. Lift heavy things. And when Elijah finds Elisha, he's a man who's already learned in his life how to lift heavy things, the value of hard work, the value of doing something. He's moving forward. He's not just sitting and waiting for an opportunity. It's an incredible thing to learn. And then so we see as Elisha comes up, he throws his mantle and just like, dude, just walks off, right? And it says in verse 20, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And listen to what he says. He knew the significance of what had just happened. He said this. He runs up like just in shock. He says, let me, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come after you. Go back, Elijah replied. And then this weird, weird cryptic question. Prophets are always so weird and cryptic. What have I done to you? In other words, I think what he's saying is, I want you to understand, yeah, this is free. You have a choice. You have to decide if you will take on this great responsibility or not. You have to step into this thing. This isn't, I'm not forcing you. This is an opportunity. And so the second thing I have, and this is really interesting, I think, in here. He says, I want to go back. I want to take care of the most primary relationship in my life at the time, his mother and father. And this is different than uh, some of you know a guy comes up to Jesus and Jesus, you know, says, hey, I want to follow you, but first I want to go bury my, my parents. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You're like, whoa, harsh, Jesus. What you got to understand in that context is what he's saying is actually, let me go and hang out with my parents. They're getting a little older. I'm just, I'll come follow you later after they die. Who knows? Maybe that's five years. Maybe that's 10 years. I'll come follow you, but not right now. I got better things, more pressing things. That's not, this guy isn't saying that. He's just like, let me go make this right. Let me go make sure my relationship's in a good place. I'm in. That's the difference. Because Jesus talks about this other guy. He goes, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy or is fit for service. Another, you're like, whoa, harsh Jesus. But what Elisha's doing here is he is taking care of one of the most primary relationships in his life. Honor your father and mother, one of the Ten Commandments, one of the top ten. And Elisha goes back to them. And, and, and here's the little phrase I have, and that's this. One of the most important things you can do in your life as you prepare yourself for whatever in the next stage of life um, as you're graduating into the next season of life, one of the most important things you can do in your life is check the oil. Check the oil. Now, here's how I remember this phrase, and there's a lot of pain associated with it. The very first vehicle I got to drive was like this big old Jeep Wagoneer my dad let me drive. And um, that big old V8, the thing would move, you know, and go anywhere. I liked it. And I was yeah, 16, 17 just driving around, and this pesky little light comes on. I didn't think anything of it. You know, a little oil can-shaped light. Can't be a big deal, right? Very short time later, engine seizes up. Brand new engine in the Jeep. And this taught me a very important um, principle in life. And that's don't pay, that's pay close attention to small things that have the potential of derailing your life. 
Don't ignore the warning lights. Don't think, ah, that's no big deal when somebody else, you know, that you love is saying, hey, you might want to pay attention to that. That's kind of a big deal. Hey, that habit, yeah, it's no big deal. I'm fine. Really? You know, that has the potential to actually take you out and derail your life. That thought pattern, that anger that you just constantly comes up, you know that has the potential to, um, for you to miss out on some incredible opportunities. You know, if you don't learn to control that, actually, um, and you fly off the handle in the wrong situation, you could actually spend years behind bars. You're like, ah, not a big deal. Pay attention. Check the oil. Pay attention to the practical small areas of life. I think some of this is those small practical areas of life. Um, you know, make your bed, clean your closet, clean your schedule. It's, it's wild. There was this uh, interview with this famous general, and he's like, the one piece, what's one piece of advice for young people out there? Make your bed. What? Yeah. Because the very first thing you do in the day, you put in order. There's one thing in your life that's not going to be chaos today. The rest of it might be, but that thing, and he says, it makes all the difference. That's a profound thing. But checking the oil, taking care of the small things in life, that, that one thing you've got that's just in the back of your mind always screaming at you, this, there's chaos in this part of my life. Well, make it right. Fix it. It'll take you like an hour, two hours. Clean the closet. Right? I'm preaching to myself here, too. I have a, a closet. I'm going to have to go home and clean it. So there's practical areas of your life, but even more importantly than that is your heart. Proverbs 4 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. How's your heart? You know that anger that just seethes within? That's a symptom of the heart. Jesus says, Hey, you want to look at all these like famous sins? They all come from the heart. How's your thought life inside? How are you doing with envy when you get on social media and you see those friends and you just, there's that thing that rises up in you? That comes from the heart. The, the, I think asking God, where's my heart at, you know? That road rage from the heart. That bitterness and unforgiveness. You know, one of the most valuable things you can do for your life is to learn how to, how to get over things with people and move on in relationship. Some of you are holding bitterness, and this is whether you're young or whether you're graduating into retirement or whatever stage of life you're in, this is important. If you have bitterness and unforgiveness and those people in your life who you really know, you wrote off a relationship and you know you shouldn't have. Man, learning how to get over things how to accept blame, humble yourself and say, you know what, I was wrong. Ask for forgiveness. When things get in uncomfortable in a relationship, not just write it off. If everyone in your life is a toxic person you need to avoid, hmm, maybe you want to turn the mirror the other direction. Look into that mirror. Maybe there's a deeper problem there. Maybe it's in your heart. If you have a friend that makes a mistake, being the first one to forgive. You know, the bridge you burn may be the bridge you need later. You just don't know. Check the oil. Pay attention to the relationships in your life. 
You know, relationships in your life wither. You've left your lawn or you've left a house plant and forgot about it for a month and come back. You know, relationships are, are similar. They need attention. They need food. They need water, so to speak. Pay attention to the relationships in your life. Pay attention to Sabbath. Are you just redlining all the time? Or do you have some space in your life to connect with God and those that you, you love? Um, one of the most important things about checking the oil, I think, is just paying attention to important little habits. And whenever you can, this is something I've learned, um, this is free, automate good habits. You want to save? Make it automatic. One of the best things you can do is just set that up automatically. In fact, I'll give you some little financial advice. We may do a whole talk on this and go a little bit deeper. But if you know these two things, this will start you out at least on a great place financially where, you know, you can get much more sophisticated than this with investing and all that. Um, but if you remember these things, here's how you order your financial life. You give, save, live. Everybody say that? Give, save, live. You give that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that investing in eternity is the most important things. It's more most important, right? And also it teaches you that you don't have to consume everything that comes in. It teaches you that life is about something bigger than, than me. You give, you save, you pay yourself first. You think about your future. You think about what, when I have an opportunity in the future, am I going to be in a place to take that opportunity? Am I going to be in a place where I actually have the ability to help somebody out in need? And then you live. You get to enjoy the rest. I teach this to my kids when they get money. Like, here, you got a dollar? Great. In fact, I went and got a bunch of coins so we could do this really, like, practically. Okay, put a dime in the giving jar. Put a dime in the savings jar. And then you can go blow the 80 cents on a lollipop. Well, not in my house, but a, a stuffed animal or something, you know. We're kind of weird on the sugar thing. It's a great principle. And then, then the other side of that is this, don't do dumb debt. Okay, everybody say that? Don't do dumb debt. There's some things that appreciate in value. Your house, often, most of the time. That are oftentimes great investments. But then, trust me, I learned this the hard way. I spent a lot of my 30s trying to dig out of my dumb 20s debt. Credit card. Just don't do it. Don't do it. And if you don't have the discipline to not ever, 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 ever carry a balance on a credit card, just don't have one. You can get by fine in life without one. In fact, if you want to go deeper, just go get Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And, and if you do that, you start there. Um, yeah, you can get more sophisticated in the future. That's great. But if you just start there, um, that's going to be a good place to start. Paul says this in Acts 20. He says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me just ask, because I know some people like this. Can you imagine the problem of having so many resources that your larger worry than just giving stuff away is giving it to responsible organizations? That's your biggest worry? <laughs> That's a cool problem to have, isn't it? And God wants to use some of you in that way for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of those in this world that need him. 
So even at this incredible moment when um, Elisha has this incredible opportunity before him, he pauses to check the oil. He thinks about one of the primary relationships in his life. He says, let me run back. Let me kiss my parents. Let me make this right. Let them know what's going on. And I'm on it. I'm there. I'm in. Verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his what? Servant. The early years of Elisha's ministry, it tells us a little later, it says he poured water on the hands of Elijah. Doesn't sound very glamorous to me. Nope, follow the dude around, help him out. But you're learning stuff. And ultimately, Elisha will, will ask and receive a double portion of the um, incredible power that Elijah experienced. It's a pretty cool thing as you read the story. But he begins as a servant. But, but don't miss this. What did he do? He went all in, didn't he? And here's the third last little phrase I want you to remember today. Go all in for God. Go all in after God. Uh, you could forget, you could do everything I just told you, these last two points, and become a successful person and still be a failure when it comes to the scope of eternity. If you don't orient your heart and life towards following God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, whatever field of life you're in, whatever he's calling you to, go all in, go after him. In Jeremiah 29 God speaks to his people in exile, and he says this, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Search for me with all your heart. Pursue me with all your heart. Go all in after God. You know, a principle I've seen over and over over the years is the people that tend to have the closest relationship with God and be used most by God are those who passionately pursue him. Go figure. You want to be used by God? You want to see your life accomplish something eternally for his kingdom? you got to be all in. Don't hold back. Otherwise, the rest of this is just self-help. You can go down and, there's, you know, there's thousands of books on the shelf you can get to help self-help. Go all in after God. This is what sets your life as meaningful when it comes to the scope of eternity because we're going to blink, you're going to snap, and you're going to turn around and you go, where'd the last 20 years go? What? How, how am I retiring? I still feel like I'm 20. Well, not quite. Go all in after God. Jesus says that, hey, ask, it will be given to you. And in the context is ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Pursue God with all your heart. Brother Andrew, he said this famous thing. If you don't know who he was, he was this famous guy who lived... Um, last century, and he delivered uh, smuggled Bibles into communist nations at great peril to his own life. And here's what he said. I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? See, when the author, the wisest guy that ever lived, Solomon, looked at like the whole scope of life, he came to the conclusion, like, it's kind of all meaningless. You can work real hard, and then you die, and you leave it all behind, and some loser blows it. What's the point? And he came to the conclusion, like, honor God, fear God. And so you might look at some people and go, wow, that looks like a foolish way to live life when it comes to a perspective of our culture. And Brother Andrew would go, well, you, you're all going to be a fool for something. 
I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? What does that look like for you to go all in for God? I, I don't know. You have to seek him. I know it means you love him with all your heart and you seek him. You don't always get it right. You stumble, you fall, you ask for forgiveness. You ask to walk with the Holy Spirit. You get up and you keep going after him. Maybe for you, I know for me, in high school, as I like prayed about, what's the next thing to do? You know, I can go off right away to college or do this different thing. And I didn't really know what to do. And I, I won't say like this was, I didn't hear God like speak, go do this or lead me. I just came to the conclusion like, I think I was considering doing uh, something called discipleship training school, six months on the mission field. I, th- I think maybe taking the next six months and focusing on my relationship with God would be the most valuable thing I could do right now. And I'm so glad I did that. I, I, I pulled one of my best friends in on it, too. I'm like, dude, you're just working, and you got no like goal or direction in life right now. Why don't you come? And he did, too. He still loves God with all his heart. He's passionate about him. Maybe that's what it looks like for you is to kind of go do something different where you're actually pursuing him in a very tangible way. Um, maybe it looks like it, you're, you're graduating into a new season of life. You've got more success. You've got, you know, a job and a career and a house and all that. Maybe he's calling you to take a bold step of faith. I have a friend, uh, some of you know him, named Lincoln, and he and his wife years ago he had an incredibly enviable career as a fireman. And literally, he was, like, frustrated in a season of his life, and he's mowing his lawn listening to gangster rap, and he hears the audible words in his mind, mercy ships. (laughs) He's like, whoa, I don't think that was in the lyrics. You're right. (laughs) Some other things in the lyrics, probably. Not that. And he went back, and he looked looked it up, and then, like, they started praying about it. And long story short, they they had a big yard sale, sold everything, and went off and, and joined mercy ships. That's what God called them to do, and they knew very clearly, and it seemed like a big risk. God only had them there for a year, which is interesting, but that's what they were called to do in that season. And when he came back, he got in a completely different line of work in oil and gas, and the amazing thing to watch is what he thought, like, I'm a year behind, starting a new career. God advanced him to corporate position in this company, like, beyond, like, people were like, how did you do this so quickly? And the only thing is, like, I don't know. It's just God's favor. See, God has the ability to call you into something and then still provide for you in incredible ways. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all else will be added to you. Jim Elliott said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You want to know about investing in something? (laughs) How about investing in something you can keep? Some of you are very tuned into that right now. As you look at printing trillions of dollars, you're like, what are we going to do? Here's where this lands for most of us, honestly. Probably for most in the room, God's not going to call you to abandon everything and go move to Africa. Some, maybe, probably. All of you, no. Most of you, he's calling to live your life all in for him right here and to live for his kingdom in your circle, my circle, my responsibility, and my church family and in my community to live your life and, and, and parent in a way that raises the next generation of passionate Jesus followers and to invest in the kingdom in a way and in the next season of life in a way 
You're graduating into retirement? Great. What are you going to do with the next 25 years of your life or 30? That's a whole nother career to be invested for the kingdom. You're just going to sit back? Is it all going to be about you? Or are you going to pour your heart and your, and your talent into something that will last forever? Colossians 3, Paul says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, this is where most of us, this is where the rubber hits the road for most of us. You are called to live your life all in for God in school, at your workplace, as you serve in the community, as you serve in your church family, as you disciple your kids, as you speak to your neighbors and love your neighbors across the street, as you invest your time and your, and your talents and your resources in the kingdom of God. That's where it's, rubber hits the road for most of us. And it's a question of, are you going to be faithful and are you going to do that? Are you going to live your life for him? Lift heavy things. Is there an area of responsibility you just need to step up in? Once you commit to God as we close it, you'll do that. Check the oil. What small area of your life are you ignoring that has the potential to derail your life? I think you know what that is. Don't ignore it. Commit to God. I'm going to deal with that. Go all in after God. That's a choice you have to make after every graduation, every season. Is this season, am I going to turn the focus all in on me and this is all going to be about me and my kingdom, or am I going to go all in after God? Next year, you're going to have to make the same choice. Over and over again, the pressure you feel is to make the story about yourself. It's not about you. It's about him. You're going to go all in after him. I pray you will.